This is Hacker Public Radio episode 3347 for Tuesday, the 1st of June 2021. Today's show is entitled Ethical Analysis of Renewable Energy and Conservation. It is hosted by Paul Quirk and is about 15 minutes long and carries a clean flag. The summary is, I read a paper I wrote about the ethical issues of renewable energy and conservation efforts. This episode of HPR is brought to you by archive.org. Support universal access to all knowledge by heading over to archive.org forward slash donate. Good day, good listener of Hacker Public Radio, and welcome back to the Paul Quirk Show. It's been a while since my last weekly podcast. The pandemic created a unique opportunity for me at the local power plant, and so I've been too busy with work to come up with new podcasts. However, there has been a call for shows, and so I decided to contribute something that means a lot to me. Back in 2009, my province of Ontario had implemented a program that paid people many times the going rate of electricity to put solar panels on their roof. The name of this program was the Feed-In Tariff, or FIT, program, which applied to businesses and large installations. For smaller installations, 10 kilowatts and smaller, we had the MicroFIT program. I took a college program in renewable energy back then, as and as part of that program, I wrote an essay where I explored ethical concerns about renewable energy and conservation efforts. Before I wrote this essay, I saw the addition of green renewable energy sources to our infrastructure to be a good thing. However, after researching this paper, I came away with genuine ethical concerns. This really opened my eyes to the real harm that can be done if we just push forward with green initiatives without considering their impact on our society. There won't be any music at the end of this podcast because I want this episode to stand on its own. Even though I wrote this paper over 10 years ago, I believe it's more important than ever to make people aware of the harm that these new initiatives can cause to our society if we don't take care to ensure those who are at or near the poverty line are taken care of. I have done my best to keep politics and my own personal biases out of this research And it's really important to me that this information is shared and understood by as many people as possible. Because of this, I uploaded this paper to Scribed.com shortly after I wrote it, hoping it would gain some traction. I'm now releasing it under the Creative Commons license. A link to the original essay will be provided in the show notes, as well as links to the references of the source material I used for my research. Some of the links may be broken in which case you may need to use the Wayback Machine to follow up. And so, with no further ado, I present to you my ethical analysis of renewable energy and conservation. The purpose of this assignment is to examine the issues of energy faced by individuals in society as a result of scientific discoveries and technological advances as it pertains to the various aspects of energy, including energy conservation, energy efficiency, renewable energy sources, and otherwise.
Most people would agree that energy conservation and renewable energy are both noble causes that need to be embraced by all. However, when we dig a little deeper, we discover some very challenging ethical issues. The biggest ethical issue that stands out is the impact these initiatives have on those living at or around the poverty line. Before I proceed, a working definition of poverty needs to be established. Classical economist Adam Smith, 1776, eloquently established that poverty is the lack of the essentials of life, or as he calls them, the necessaries. By necessaries, I understand not only the commodities, which are indispensably necessary for the support of life, but whatever the custom of the country renders it indecent for credible people, even of the lowest order, to be without. A linen shirt, for example, is, strictly speaking, not a necessary of life. The Greeks and Romans lived, I suppose, very comfortably, though they had no linen. But in present times, through the greater part of Europe, a credible day laborer would be ashamed to appear in public without a linen shirt. Custom, in the same manner, has rendered leather shoes a necessary of life in England. The poorest credible person of either sex would be ashamed to appear in public without them. This is from Book 5, Chapter 2, Article 4. Based on this widely accepted definition, energy is considered a commodity which is indispensably necessary for the support of life. While Canada has no official measure of poverty, Feligi, 1997, it clearly exists. It is not the purpose of this essay to define how many Canadians live at or below some poverty line. However, for the purpose of this essay, it is essential for the reader to acknowledge that poverty exists in Canada. For the sakes of this essay, I will assume a poverty line exists at the point where a person can afford to feed, shod, and clothe themselves appropriately, as well as afford shelter complete with heat, some means of cooking their food and light with no money left over after paying for these necessaries. I will assume that such a person can afford to take whatever public transportation is available to transport between their home and their work, as well as to and from places where they can buy their necessaries. Such a person living at this line will not be able to afford anything beyond their necessaries, and any additional expense will serve to push them below the poverty line, as well as bring more people to that line. Each new technology brings with it a cost. The increase in cost is necessary to offset the development of the infrastructure necessary for the new technology. A good example of this is the compact fluorescent light bulb. Today, the mass-produced compact fluorescent well past the point where the cost to build and tool factories to manufacture it has been recaptured, is at a price where people can realize an energy savings in the long term to offset the higher price of the compact fluorescent. Still costing anywhere from between 3 to 10 times the cost of a comparable incandescent light bulb, my new 2010, the cost advantage of the compact fluorescent is only realized over an extended period of time measured in years. A person living at or near the poverty line does not have years to wait. They need to realize the energy savings much sooner than that in order to survive. The problem becomes bigger when we explore home heating. Consider a modern high-efficiency gas furnace or even a ground source heat pump. These solutions cost thousands, if not tens of thousands, to implement. The payback period can take many years. We recognize the importance of moving to more efficient heating solutions now 
to save money later when energy costs go up. However, to the poor, such solutions are not even remotely viable. Quite often, those at or near the poverty line will adopt whatever source of heating costs the least to implement, and today that source is, more often than not, electric heaters. Consider a $40 electric baseboard heater versus the thousands in cost of a high-efficiency gas furnace or the tens of thousands for a geothermal system, and it's obvious that the most expensive source of heating to operate is likely the only type of heat within price range of those living near or at the poverty line. While some families living at the poverty line would be financially better off investing in a modern high-efficiency form of heat, their inability to come up with the investment capital ensures they will be stuck with high heating bills to keep them at the poverty line. As we move towards a future that includes renewable energy, we recognize the fact that there is a certain expense that comes with implementing renewable energy sources. It is necessary for the infrastructure of solar photovoltaic and wind turbines that electricity rates will go up. While we tend to agree that it's necessary for the cost of energy to go up in order to encourage conservation and to give people the push they need to move towards more energy-efficient solutions, we do so without regard for those living at or near the poverty line. What we push for in the name of the environment will serve to push those at the poverty line deeper into poverty and introduce more Canadians to that poverty line. As the poverty rate goes up, so does the crime rate. Ellen, 2008. Overall, we could then expect our quality of life to go down due to this effect. Clearly, the greater good dictates that we must address this issue before proceeding with current conservation and renewable energy measures. This issue isn't a new one. For example, in 1994, the National Housing Institute recognized that energy costs were one major, if not the major, operating cost to many low-income households, and recognized that promoting affordable energy bills was a necessary component of any strategy to address the sustainability of overall shelter affordability. They pointed out that, in 1992, 5.3 million households had utility service disconnected for non-payment. It was suggested that while energy efficiency helps address the inability to pay, it had its limits. They then recommended energy efficiency improvements, discounted rates, and regulatory protections. Colton, 1994. As recent as March 23, 2010, a study from the American Coalition for Clean Coal Electricity, ACCCE, found that poor Americans were spending a disproportionate part of their income on energy, as much as 69% for families earning less than $10,000 per year. For those earning just under $50,000 per year, that percentage is 19%. Bedard, 2010. While the source of this report would seem to make this study appear entirely self-serving, there is no denying the truth that increased energy costs directly impacts the poor. In March of 2010... The National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, NAACP, along with the Florida Power and Light Company, FPL, announced that the conservation goals of the state of Florida help the wealthy at the expense of the poor. According to the NAACP and the FPL, wealthier people are using rebates for energy-saving products that the poor simply cannot afford. And since all utility customers ultimately pay for the rebates, it's forcing the poor to subsidize the wealthy. According to FPL consultant Jim Dean, quote, 
electricity rates tend to be regressive. By this, I mean that lower-income users who are less likely to participate in energy-saving programs will pay more for their utility bills as a percentage of their disposable income than higher-income users. Patel, 2010. The city of Austin, Texas, passed an ambitious climate protection plan in 2007, but advocates are now concerned about how those energy plans will affect the poor and elderly, in particular negatively impacting those who are now living on a limited fixed income. Austin Energy planned to add a new fee to pay for transmission lines for wind energy generated in West Texas, starting at $0.60 a month and rising over the years. There are also concerns about how much the rates will rise on top of this. According to Ron Walker, Chancellor for the Catholic Diocese of Austin, there are a lot of people who can barely afford their electricity bills now and estimates their bills could go up by 50% over the next five years. Currently, Austin Energy has several programs to help low-income families, including up to $1,500 for energy efficiency improvements and fee reductions for those on government aid programs. Tuhi, 2009. Energy conservation doesn't need to be out of reach for those living near the poverty line. In the economically depressed South Bronx of New York, the nonprofit Women's Housing and Economic Development Corporation, WHED Co., opened the Intervale Green Housing Development last year. This is a 128-unit apartment building for low-income families. By incorporating low-cost conservation measures with the construction of this building, they have ensured that residents will be paying 30% less for their utilities. According to Nancy Biberman, founder and president of WHED Co., going green is a survivability issue for low-income families. Other similar initiatives by organizations such as the nonprofit Car for Supportive Housing in Miami and the Resurrection Homes Project in Chicago have undertaken similar projects, demonstrating that going green isn't just for the wealthy. Walsh, 2009. Clearly, a multi-pronged approach to the implementation of conservation technology along with the implementation of renewable energy technology is required in order to address the needs of those living at or near the poverty line and avoid the ethical issues with negative and possibly irreparable effects on our society. Up until recently, Ontario has enjoyed an eco-energy retrofit program, with the federal and provincial governments issuing rebates for energy upgrades performed in a home. Such a program could be designed to help those near or at the poverty line conserve energy, but it would have to be set up so as not to require an initial investment from the poor. Such a program will cost the government in the short run, but ultimately will serve the greater good by possibly helping some families rise further above the poverty line. The expense of retrofitting an efficient heating source combined with air sealing and insulation upgrades in place of old baseboard heaters in a drafty, poorly insulated home would mean dramatically lower energy bills in the short term, and some of those savings could go back into the program if implemented correctly, which could make such a program self-perpetuating. Renewable energy solutions need to be implemented at a rate as to not cause energy rates to rise substantially, and when rates do rise, those at or near the poverty line need to be insulated from those rates at least until they have an opportunity to reduce their consumption with modern technology. Such a system could be tied into a modified eco-energy retrofit program. Ultimately, 
As we progress into the future, we need to make sure that we all can benefit from conservation and clean energy if we expect to maintain or improve everyone's overall quality of life. We can all benefit, including the poor, which is the kind of future I would like to see. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. If you have any thoughts about this or any other ideas, I encourage you to record your own podcast and contribute to Hacker Public Radio. Until next time, please remember to drive safe and have fun. You've been listening to Hacker Public Radio at hackerpublicradio.org. We are a community podcast network that releases shows every weekday, Monday through Friday. Today's show, like all our shows, was contributed by an HBR listener like yourself. If you ever thought of recording a podcast, then click on our contribute link to find out how easy it really is. Hacker Public Radio was founded by the Digital Dog Pound and the Infonomicon Computer Club and is part of the binary revolution at binrev.com. If you have comments on today's show, please email the host directly, leave a comment on the website or record a follow-up episode yourself. Unless otherwise stated, today's show is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 license.